Welcome to the B Block Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Scott. I appreciate you for joining me. It's not really a happy occasion this time, though. It's not. If there was one thing that the Astros could not afford this season, if there was one thing that they could not afford losing, wasn't one of those all-stars that are in the lineup, not even two of them that we talk about all the time. If there was anything that the Astros could not afford to happen to them in this season, it was losing Justin Verlander. Like that is really a non-starter for the Astros when you talk about them being among the World Series contenders. We're talking about the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner. This guy struck out 300 batters last year. But it's not even just that. It's not even just what Verlander did last year and all we know about him. But on top of that, the narrative on Verlander in in summer camp essentially was just how much better he looked, even compared to last year. Now, we know they had to shut him down in spring training after he had the injured lat and the injured groin. He had groin surgery. We know all about that. But what did he do during his rehab? What did he do during the pandemic? He reevaluated his mechanics and his delivery. He changed it all up. Saw that he was delivering the ball or releasing the ball way too high. And I guess that was contributing to the strain and the damage on his groin. He fixed that. Alex Bregman just told me on Friday, just told me on Friday, that this is as good as Justin Verlander has looked since he got here in 2017. Well, the Astros, they don't have their ace. They don't have their ace at least for a couple of weeks. And there just isn't any ace. This isn't just any ace we're talking about for any team. We're talking about Justin Verlander. Now, Dusty Baker spoke with the media after Sunday's game. And he does that, of course, after every game. I was there for that, and Dusty told us that Justin Verlander did mention some tenderness, I guess right around the time that they brought him out on opening day, right time, right around the time that they pulled him out of the game on opening day, which was, you know, after six. And he still pitched a solid game. He pitched a solid six innings, two-run baseball. I mean, he wasn't overwhelming. He wasn't overwhelming by any stretch, and especially by – Verlander standards, but he was very, very good. I would even say exceptional. I even talked to Justin Verlander after Friday's game. Now, I I didn't ask him about necessarily how he felt. We talked about the social issues and the demonstrations that teams around Major League Baseball were doing, and he actually gave me a great answer. But before that, in talking baseball with the other media members, there was no indication that Justin Verlander wasn't right. No indication. And actually, Dusty, when he talked to us on Sunday, said that Verlander wanted to go even longer on opening day. He mentioned that it was tender, but he wanted to keep going, but they pulled him out. So now what? What do you do now? I'll tell you one thing. You kind of go from not liking the expanded playoff format for the Astros, not liking it necessarily, to liking it. I mean, if you are an Astros fan, you expect the Astros to win the American League West, 
expect them to be probably the best team in the American League, if not the second best. Like, it's really the Astros, the Yankees, and then we're just talking about a handful of other teams that might be threatening. There, there could be a team that could be the, the Nationals of last year. That could be the Oakland A's. That could be possibly the Tampa Bay Rays. We don't, we don't know at this point, just three, four games, one weekend, one series into the season. But mind you, it's a 60-game season, and that's part of the motivation for this, both from a financial standpoint and from a competitive standpoint, adding these playoff teams. I don't think it's something that folks are going to be a big fan of long-term. And may- maybe so. I could be wrong about that. Like, maybe this does add some excitement. I don't know about more than half of the teams making it into the postseason after you have a 162-game season, but in a 60-game season, it makes so much more sense to do it. And for the Astros, you go from, well, now it's kind of crowded. You know, it looks looks crowded here in the playoff field before. But now without Verlander, you're grateful for all the possibilities that you can get, all the opportunities that you can get to get into the postseason. Because they are good enough to win it. I said earlier that it's a non-starter for the World Series aspirations. That's just in terms of them being a favorite, in terms of them being one of those teams that we talk about being there. And from what I've seen, I mean, Alex Rodriguez called him a sleeper, like a sleeper picker or like underrated or something like that on the broadcast the other day. Uh, I know that I did... I did World Series picks with my colleagues at Radio.com. And however many of us it was that did it, I was the only one for sure. And this is this is folks all across the country picking picking teams. I was the only one. And you can say this is a homer pick maybe, but I was the only one to pick the Astros to win it. I might have even been the only one to pick them to go to the World Series. A lot of Yankees Kool-Aid in that piece that we did together. But I think that's the general sentiment around the league and among baseball fans is that you add Garrett Cole to what was already a loaded team, a loaded Yankees team last season, and you take Garrett Cole from from the team that beat them and put him on that team, and that probably should make them better. I think that's a fair assessment. But with Justin Verlander, the Astros were still in the mix. They were still in the mix. And with Lance McCullers coming back, I know, I know for a fact that the Astros players viewed Lance McCullers as the sort of de facto replacement for Garrett Cole. I'm certain of that. But I think now this just puts the spotlight on McCullers. I think this really does put the spotlight on McCullers. I think it came as a surprise a little bit to some that he jumped Zach Grinke in the rotation as the number two starter. That had a little bit to do with Zach Grinke not being ready. I think folks saw that on Sunday in his outing where he just wasn't very good, wasn't good at all. But Lance McCullers has been working for this moment for almost two years now. And the thing that you've got to understand about McCullers, if you don't know this already, this is a guy who views himself as a number one caliber starter. And I think he's got a case for being the best pitcher right now 
that the Astros have outside of Verlander. So here's his opportunity. Here's his opportunity as someone who seems to really be feeling well after Tommy John surgery. And he's someone who can make that he's someone they can be more liberal with in a 60 game season. The question now seems to be whether Lance McCullers is a legitimate number one starter, which I get the feeling that McCullers is dying to prove to the world that he is. And then can Jose or Keedy get in here and provide some stability in the middle and back of that rotation? Remember that? How long ago does that seem now after you get news that Verlander is going to be out for at least two weeks and possibly the entire season? How long ago does it seem now that Jose Urquidy was cleared to participate in baseball activities. That was just on Friday, I think. Right now, this is kind of like chaos as far as the pitching staff goes. You lose Verlander and the wheels fall off. They really do. Now, with Urquidy, I just mentioned that with Urquidy, I can't tell you with like any degree of certainty that he even makes it back before Verlander. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know between Verlander and Jose Urquidy which one you can expect to come back. And one of them has a forearm strain. Verlander has a forearm strain. With Urquidy, we don't have exactly a diagnosis of an illness or injury. It was just one of those things that they couldn't talk about. It seemed like a medical thing that they couldn't talk about. And I think ever since then, we've been reading between the lines. But Dusty Baker told us that it could take as much, basically as much time as they missed for them to get back. Jose Arquiti and Jordan Alvarez, as much time as they missed to get back. That would be three weeks, roughly. Like, it's really possible that the Astros just lost Garrett Cole to free agency, lost Justin Verlander to injury, and lost Jose Arquiti to the pandemic. Note there, I'm careful to say that he, that we lost him to the pandemic and not the virus because no one has put that out there, okay? Just saying that. All I know is that he was at spring training. I was at spring training, saw him in Florida. He was there pitching, looking just fine. Then there was a pandemic, basically, right? Had a pandemic. Went home to Mexico. I do know he did that, and we haven't seen him since. Now, he's in Corpus Christi now with Jordan Alvarez. That's where they both are supposed to be reporting. And, you know, Jordan's situation is the same as Urquidy's as far as I know. And they're in Corpus with the injured dudes, man. They're there with the injured dudes and the ones that didn't make the 30-man roster trying to get right. Astros fans, I bet you did not expect to need this much from Framber Valdez as much as you do right now. That shaky bullpen, all the uncertainty there, that is even scarier now for Astros fans. That's even scarier now because you can expect to need more from that bullpen. You can expect to need more from that bullpen one way or another, whether that's them having to support your starters, the ones that you still have, or if they've got to do some patchwork to help you start. And we should note, probably should have mentioned this earlier, but we should note that Justin Verlander came out and disputed the Houston Chronicle report that said he would be out for the season. And look, I'm familiar with the reporter and his work, Chandler Rome. I see him pretty much almost every day, I guess. He's the one who reported this. 
I wouldn't bet against his reporting. I wouldn't think that he put something out there that he didn't feel solid about. And I know how the editing process works as well. I don't think his editors would have let him put something out there that he didn't think was solid. I, I just know too much about how this works for it to be like something sloppy. So I wouldn't bet against Chandler's reporting. But I will take Verlander and his comments at face value as well. That being said, I, I want to make a, a distinction here. Two things can be true here. Chandler's report can be correct, and Justin Verlander can view it as an accurate. Like, both things can actually be the case. Say, if Chandler's sourcing, I don't, I don't know what Chandler's sourcing is, but say his sourcing is more so on the medical and training side then they would have, it's a good chance that they would have a different diagnosis than what the player would have. So it could very well be a situation where someone's telling Justin Verlander that he should be out for the season, but Justin Verlander is saying, hell no. I'm going to sit out, let it heal, see if it heals, see if I feel better after a couple of weeks, and I'm going to give it a go. It is possible that Verlander has suffered a season-ending injury but may or may not be out for the season. That's something that we'll just have to wait and see. But this is not J.J. Watt last year telling us that he was done for the year and then making it back for the playoffs. Verlander is coming straight out saying, look, I'm going to try to come back. I want this thing to, to heal. Hopefully some time off, some rest will help it heal. Let's, let's just hope for the best, so to speak. Maybe he is able to pitch in the playoffs. Maybe he is. Even without Verlander, this should be a playoff team. Like It's hard to believe that the Astros are not one of the top eight teams in the American League. Or that they wouldn't finish as one of the top eight teams in the American League. You only have to finish in the top two of your own division to make it to be one of those one through six seeds. And so it seems like still their only legitimate competition in the West would be the Oakland A's. If the Angels surprise us a little bit, I know they are improved. If the Angels surprise us a little bit, it could get somewhat dicey. But even there, they're a wild card, right? We're talking about a whole different level of embarrassment if the Astros turned out to be a wild card in an expanded playoff format. If they can't beat out the A's or the Angels, even without Justin Verlander, that shouldn't be a thing. But it's hard to believe that the Astros won't be able to sneak in under these circumstances. And then again, who knows if Verlander is going to be back and able to pitch by then and then all is well or all at least feels well if he is right all feels well if you got Verlander on the mound in the playoffs but remember he's still looking for a win in the World Series oddly enough like he's not Clayton Kershaw in this way but he's still got more that he wants to do Verlander's not able to come back maybe you make the playoffs but like how do you match up against the Yankees 
all of it is scary to consider, to consider that Justin Verlander might not be around for some of these critical moments and possibly for the rest of the season. I'd be really bummed out for another reason, just that so many players on this team that are critical to this team are free agents to be and might not be here next season. Think about George Springer, man. Every time something bad happens to the Astros this year, I go back to George Springer and I'm like, man, this could be the last year with this guy. And we already got cheated out of 102 games. 102 games of possibly the last season of George Springer. The loss in revenue and the loss in season is going to hurt Springer more than likely in free agency, I'd imagine. The service time manipulation that the previous regime under Jeff Lunau did, I think, also hurt George Springer in free agency because otherwise he could have been a free agent last year and got some of that Bryce Harper type of money, some of that uh, Manny Machado type of money. He'd have been out there looking for something like that. Now he is in a situation of uncertainty, but on the Verlander point, yo, it sucks that the last season of George Springer might be the Astros not even at full strength, not even having Justin Verlander, not even really having a chance to maximize what could be that final opportunity to win a World Series with a George Springer on your squad. Speaking of maximizing opportunities, Deshaun Watson said something that we already knew. We already knew Watson's contract situation is not the same as Patrick Mahomes, or at least the same as Patrick Mahomes' was. It's been discussed already, even before Mahomes' mega deal. It had already been reported that Deshaun Watson was looking for a shorter extension, possibly for three years, which would keep him in Houston for another five years. He's got two years left on the rookie deal, three-year extension. That would be five more years in Houston at the least. Now, Patrick Mahomes taking a longer deal, leaving a little bit of money on the table on the front end so they can keep a winning team around them. That makes sense when you think about what the Chiefs have going for themselves. Best QB in the game, paying two premier pass rushers and Frank Clark and Chris Jones now. Going out and picking up Tyron Matthew last year, that was huge. They're built to win, or at least they're built to seriously compete. But the Texans, though, they got some AFC South titles. A few playoff highlights, mostly from Deshaun. A little bit of J.J., Tywan Jones. But the Texans are being measured by how that season ended last year against the Chiefs. And then, of course, all this happened in the offseason since then, right? (laughs) But speaking of the offseason, here is Deshaun Watson talking with Michael Vick on Fox Sports. Michael Vick, who Deshaun idolized growing up in Georgia, not too far from Atlanta. They addressed the Mahomes contract and how that situation is not exactly what Watson's is. Man, I think, I mean, it was a blessing for him. I actually, you know, hit him up and, you know, he was excited more about it. Um, You know, he felt like that organization and himself, 
can can win a lot of championships. And, you know, especially being with Andy Reid and things like that, he felt like that's his home. That's where he want to be for a long period of time. Um, you know, he has that, you know, that that solid background where he can trust and know, like, you know, a lot of things in the NFL change all the time. But, hey, I know this is going to be the core of this organization, so I'm, I'm solid. My situation, and I don't want to say nothing too crazy, I, it's just kind of, it's a little different in here. So, you know, you know, just signing a deal for, you know, 10 years, you know, I got to, you know, speak on my agent with that. You know, we got to really sit down and think, like, what do I want in my career, in my, you know, a football career where I want to be for a long period of time. I love Houston. I love the organization. I love the teammates. I love the players. But all that stuff is always changing, always changing. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about it, man. I've been talking with my agent about it each and every day and, you know, trying to get, you know, exactly what we want, you know, and, and make sure it's the best deal, you know, because things change so much. So you got to, you know, get everything you can out of, you know, especially that first one. It is enlightening when you hear Deshaun talk like that. Like one thing I've noticed about Deshaun is how he loosens up when he's talking to other athletes. Like he he did that interview with Carmelo Anthony a little while back, which I thought was really good. And of course, this one with Vic brought you the sound that you just heard. Watson's not sold on the Texans long term, man. I don't know if there's any other way that you can possibly slice that he said that he loves the organization he loves houston he loves the teammates and what have you but he doesn't have that peace of mind that mahomes has that peace of mind that knowing the team that you're signing this long-term deal with is putting you in the best position to be successful he does not have that peace of mind notice how he broke that whole thing down even called andy reed by name but when it was time to talk about the Texans, he didn't call anyone by name. He just talked about the organization and teammates, teammates, how he loves the organization and how he loves teammates. But that is always changing. And he said it again, always changing. What do you think he's talking about there? What do you think he means? What do you think the change is that has him so unsure and so he can't have that peace of mind right now yeah he he might like tim kelly he might like working with tim kelly and he might like the weapons that bill o'brien and jack easterby have surrounded him with for this season i mean damn how they got there they got the weapons they could be a very legitimate offense defense is a whole nother story a whole nother topic but they've got the weapons. They got the weapons on offense. I don't know who's supposed to run between the tackles, if that's supposed to be David Johnson or what. But as far as throwing the ball, Deshaun's got a lot of options. They could be really explosive on offense. I think that they've got a hell of an opportunity, especially with the offensive line having a full year to work together. They didn't get as much time this offseason to work together as you would like. But I'm sure that they have to have a better feel for what they're doing than they did like last year when Laramie Tunsil just showed up a week before the season started with that trade. And, of course, you got two of the guys on the line are not rookies anymore, and Titus Howard and Max Sharpen. But, man, I don't know how much money that they'd have to guarantee Deshaun Watson for him to think that it's wise 
for him to sign here for 10 years. You talk about trust. Patrick Mahomes can backload his deal because he trusts what the Chiefs are doing. He trusts their ability to manipulate the salary cap and make smart signings, smart trades, smart draft choices. That makes sense for Mahomes to have that mindset of, look, hey, I'm going to leave a little money out here because I trust them to do something good with it. Don't play with my money. Could you imagine Deshaun Watson leaving even a dollar on the table in the name of Bill O'Brien is going to do the right thing with this? He just traded away Watson's best receiver and has no intention of paying a premium price for a receiver because he's got to pay Deshaun. And he just paid Laramie Tunsil. And he's anticipating a new deal for J.J. Watt, who, if healthy, is still one of the elite pass rushers in this game. Make no mistake about it. But like Deshaun said, he's got to speak to his agent on that. Got to figure out where he wants to be, what he wants for, what he thinks is best for him. The Texans got at least another four years to prove themselves. Anyway, thanks for listening to the podcast. I'll be at Minute Maid Park for the next few days, as I have been for the past couple of days. So make sure that you're following the Twitters, man, at Brandon K. Scott, at B underscore block underscore podcast, at Sports Radio 610. My guy Landry Locker from In The Loop has volunteered himself to do a post-game show for the entire 60-game season, and that's a lot of work, and we love him for it. We really appreciate him doing that. Best idea that we've had at 610 since they sent me and Adam Spillane to spring training earlier in the year. So make sure you're listening to the post-game show. It's caller-driven, so you can get in on the show. I'm jumping on toward the end of it. You're hearing from Spolane, too. Um, you got he and I at the ballpark, so really some firsthand information there. Um, the hosts, Seth Payne, Ron the Show, Hughley, John Lopez, Sean Pendergast, Clint Sterner. You might hear any of them call at any moment. So it's really a good show, man. You should check it out. Landry's one of the hardest working people in the business, so definitely support it. That's it for me. I appreciate y'all for listening.